I want to extend my welcome to you today and say uh, it is uh, great to be able to be here. I'm grateful for Nathan Sanders. Uh, we reached out uh, to Nathan after we found out that we were uh, going to be displaced for the week, and uh, Nathan was kind enough to allow us to meet here. Uh, some of you have been here uh, many times in the past uh, when you were skating and uh, music was going and strobe lights and all those kinds of things, and it's a bit different today. Um, but uh, we are glad that uh, the Lord has blessed Nathan with this building and that he's kind enough uh, to let us use it. Today is a big day. Uh, some of you who, uh, and those of you who have tracked along with us uh, in Oak Valley for a while, uh, there is something up here in the front that is different than you've seen before. Uh, anyone want to guess what it is? Trip, what is it? It's a bucket, okay, it's a bucket. <laughs> it is a big bucket. Um, we, uh, we are going to be privileged uh, before the end of the service to uh, uh, celebrate uh, in, with, in baptism and uh, have an opportunity to witness uh, profession of faith, and uh, we're looking forward to that as well. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 5 uh, as you're turning there. Uh, for those of you who've been here, uh, you know that we're in week 8 of looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through 25. Uh, we will conclude uh, our series next week, but uh, we have uh, been blessed. I hope you have. I have been uh, as we've been given attention to this text. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 uh, through 25. Paul writes, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So that we don't lose sight of the significance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, I want us to look back at what God said through the prophet Isaiah. Now I want you to know that in full disclosure, uh, what we'll read was written to Israel. But I also want you to know and understand that there are direct implications 
for Gentiles, that is for non-Jewish people, that's you and, and, and me as far as I know about your heritage and your lineage. But in Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3, and we'll track along through a few texts here in Isaiah, I want you to hear these. Now, we're connecting some dots, so you'll have to bear with me today. Listen to the scripture if you're not turning there. Listen intently. Write the text down so you can go back and track through. But uh, let's listen. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall overcome the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light. Then in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, we hear, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that we may be glorified. And we know that Jesus understood that this prophecy was fulfilled in Him because when we go to Luke chapter 4, we hear this. In verse 16 through 21, And He, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogues on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because it was fulfilled in him, he was able to say in Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 17, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In John's Gospel we read, In Him, meaning Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we continue reading in John, we hear this. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now I read those texts because it's not surprising then to discover that the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian Christians 
for you are all children of light. Now Paul is writing to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Those are the majority of the people there uh, in Thessalonica. He said, you are children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. And then to the Philippians he wrote, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you are lights in the world. And then to the Ephesians, listen to what he has to say. Therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now you may be wondering what all this has to do with what Paul wrote to the Galatians. I would ask that question if I were you. And the answer is, is the Spirit of God has been planted in the believer. This is no light matter to come and speak of the fruit of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God has been planted in the believer, makes him or her a believer to make him or her an oak of righteousness for the glory of God. An oak of righteousness for the glory of God. And we know that this is not just Israel that we're speaking about because we recognize from John's Gospel that He came to His own, but His own received Him not. What we do know is that those who believed in Him were made to be called children of God. So, as we hear, and because you are sons, okay, Paul writes to the Galatians, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Children who cry out to the Father. Only possible because the Spirit of God comes in them. And it says, and no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So if you're a believer here today, you are one because God has made you so. And to make you an oak of righteousness for His glory. I want you to hear that again. He has made you His son or daughter so that you will be made an oak of righteousness for His glory. The ongoing evidence of this reality is that the fruit of the Spirit is born out in the life of believers. We've already seen how this fruit serves to reflect God's glory in the life of the individual believer by primarily looking at the fruit of love and joy and peace. And I want to make a few observations just as a whole today as we kind of come to the close and at the end of our time, observations that have already been made, but I want to bring back to the forefront of your mind so you will understand why we say what we say today as we continue. The first observation is, as Adam mentioned, that love preceded all the others, and it seems practically so, in that the love undergirds and supports and all other fruit flow from that love. And I believe that's true. Second, that joy and peace, as we've looked at for the last two weeks, seem to be fruit primarily for the individual. Now, I'm not saying that a person and a believer's joy and peace does not impact the life of others around him or her. What I am saying is, is that joy and peace are primarily for that particular individual. 
And there's a third observation. And you may already know where we're going with this, but it appears that the fruit of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control seem to be fruit that primarily benefits others. That isn't to say that there are no personal benefits connected to these characteristics, but they do primarily serve others. And here's where that will help us focus our attention for the next few minutes. When a tree is planted, who enjoys its fruit? When a tree is planted, who enjoys its fruit? Well, well, we enjoy the fruit. If it's my fruit tree, I enjoy the fruit. My family enjoys the fruit. And then what happens with that? In most cases, that fruit then is shared with other people that are outside of my family. And I want you to think about that in terms of what we have just said about the fruit of the Spirit. Is that God has granted the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but He's granted the fruit of the Spirit to reflect His glory. So the fruit of the Spirit is primarily for God because everything points back to the glory of God. But the fruit of the Spirit also serves the individual that bears the Spirit of God. In other words, it does so by changing a person inwardly, transforming a person inwardly. And those two specific uh, aspects of the fruit, joy and peace, are things that are enjoyed by that individual. And while it does impact other people, it is primarily for that individual. But then when we leave that flowing out of love, all those other divine characteristics are clearly seen to be pointed to be directed toward others. The question is, is who are the others? Well, I want to argue today that the others begin primarily with the body of Christ. Begins primarily with the body of Christ. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit is the divine character of God supernaturally displayed in the life of the believer because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about natural things. You know, we're not talking about natural kindness. We're not talking about natural goodness. We're not talking about the kindness and the goodness that are born out in the life of unbelievers because we know that those things do exist. I have unbelieving friends who are kind and good-natured. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the supernatural work of God in the life of the believer, the one who, who, the one who houses the very Spirit of God. Uh, let's say it another way. Since God takes up residence in the life of the believer, the believer displays the character of God. Now, not perfectly like God. Remember, we have said two things already, and I'm reminding you of this so that you don't misunderstand what's being said here. The one is, is that there is a continual conflict in the life of the believer. There is the flesh warring against the spirit, and there is that continual conflict. We see it here. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit. He's talking to believers. He says, walk by the spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on and lists the desires of the flesh, but he says, walk by the spirit. In other words, there is this constant tension in the life of a believer. We've already stated that. But there is a second thing. And the second thing is, is that we know that it's important because God's written to the Galatians that have been set free from the bondage of slavery. And he said the law 
couldn't justify them. So there's two things. Is that one, we have this constant conflict. And two, there is this constant dependency that we have on the Spirit of God as a believer. This constant dependency that we have on God that displays the glory of God. If you remember back here uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about this, we posed the question, if, if God's intent is to make us oaks of righteousness, and it is, and if God indwells us and places His Spirit in us to make us alive, and He does, then why are we not immediately perfect without sin and without struggle and without conflict? And we said, everything in Scripture points to that it reflects the glory of God more as we struggle in the course of this life for this reason, is that we remain dependent upon Him. Hear that again, that we remain dependent upon Him, that we rest in Him, that we trust in Him, that we are reminded each week as we do, which is why we do this each week as we come to our time of confession, reminding us of what God says about what this life should be and about who He is and our acknowledgement of, yes, there is hopefully in the life of us as believers, there is this maturation process, there is growing process in us where we are reflecting that and looking like that more, but that we are never there all the way and that we are dependent upon Him. And the way that we know that is fulfilled and we are reminded every week is that we look at the assurance of pardon as we did today. That these things are accomplished in Christ. That He is the fulfillment of all righteousness. That He is the one who atoned for our sin. That He is the one who bore the judgment of God's wrath so that those who trusted in Him would not have to everything is centered and focused in Christ for the glory of God. And that's in keeping with, as Paul said, uh, the two things that are necessary for us, and that is a hope of righteousness and eternal life. Look, if you would, there in chapter 5 of Galatians, he points this out in verse 5. He says, for through the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We wait for the hope of righteousness. Know that it is certain because Christ's righteousness has been imputed upon us. And then we walk by the Spirit to see that practical aspect of the imputation of Christ upon us where we are conformed to the image of Christ and then eternal life. Look, if you will, back in verse uh, 21. Paul writes as he concludes and ends this list of, of things of the flesh. He said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he is implying that not only is there this looking ahead toward and waiting for the righteousness to be completed that is already to be completed in Christ, but that there is also hope of eternal life as sons and daughters of God looking forward to the inheritance that we have in God, which is eternal life. Paul goes on to say that they were set free from the bondage of the law. Set free. Set free to do what? We've already mentioned it was set free to keep the law. Look in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. And you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The very character of God displays His glory through the loving of others. Specifically here, we're talking about loving each other in the body of Christ. How do we know that? Because this is given in the context of the church and its relationship and the way that they are relating to one another, the way they are responding to one another. We're going to argue in just a moment the way they care for one another. Paul's concern was that since there had been a division in the church created by the false teaching, and knowing that it was opportunity there for there to be struggles with the flesh, that the unity of the body was and could continue to be disrupted. I want you to hear that again. That because of the false teaching, there had become struggles in the body that disrupted the unity of the body. And so Paul feels that it is necessary, the Holy Spirit feels that it is necessary in the context of the work of the church and what God intends for those who are oaks of righteousness, that the unity of the body be protected. And the way that the Holy Spirit, through Paul in writing to the Galatians, speaks of that is by reminding them that they have been saved by the blood of Christ alone, that their righteousness was in Him, that they have been made alive by the very Spirit of God, and that that Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives and dwells in each individual who is a believer, and God's unity is not disrupted, and He has brought them together, nor should they be disrupted. And the way that He works to help them understand what is necessary to push down disruption and to push down the possibility of broken relationships in the body where we would not love each other as we should is to point us back to the very fruit of the Spirit. And that's what Paul's doing here. He is reminding us that with those concerns, there is, the, there is the need to make sure that the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as he writes to the church at Ephesus is held. And that's why he wrote them. He said, let us not, in verse 26 of chapter 5, Galatians, he said, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Hear that again. Let us not become conceited. Not come, become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I think all of us in here know how easy it is for conflict to arise among brothers and sisters. If we truly are relating to each other, conflict can arise. In this age, we are probably more sensitive than ever before regarding certain theological and philosophical issues. Those theological and philosophical issues often at times become points of potential division. Sometimes it's just because that we are mean-spirited with those things and we offend people. Sometimes in the lives of believers, there is an intention 
to offend. Other times there's not an intention to offend, but we are not we are not aware of the sensitivity or we disregard the sensitivity regarding something. Oftentimes we're not even aware that we have offended someone. But left unsettled, the wounded relationship can fester until it infects us. And when it infects us as an individual in the body of Christ, it affects and then can infect the entire body. We know how the handling of sin can go wrong, either by denying its existence and apathetically doing nothing uh, to, to, to try to deal with it. Or the other hand is, in handling and dealing with sin, we can become harsh and judgmental. Those are the things that Paul's talking about here because we have this thing sandwiched, mind you, this whole piece, of, this whole piece that we're looking at, the fruit of the Spirit, is sandwiched by those two very things. One, there are these theological differences, and they are very real differences. There were people in the life of the church that said, no, we need to appeal to the law, and we need to go back and we need to practice circumcision for a person to be saved. And Paul was reminding them, absolutely not. You do not need to practice circumcision. You are not bound under the law. You are free now to actually live out and fulfill the law by loving each other. And then we look back on chapter 6, look in chapter 6 and verse 1, and brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now I find that interesting that this whole piece that we're dealing with regarding the fruit of the Spirit and the conflict with the flesh, we oftentimes think of them only being centered in one thing in particular, a particular sin. But that's not what's going on here. Paul is addressing the issue as there are differences in the body and then as there are with those differences in the body, dealing with the sin of the body. So we know that both of these things can become problematic for a church. Why is that important for us to hear? Because if, if we are in the body of Christ and connected with the local body, and we will argue that we should be, we should be, we should be connected with a local body. We should love the body of Christ enough to want to be connected with a local body of believers. We need to be connected with the local body of believers because we need brothers and sisters who will care for us. And as we have heard Adam teach before, uh, and as you go through one of our Membership Matters class, you will hear again that we have to know who we're connected to because we need to know who we're accountable to and the body needs to know who they are to care for. Okay? The point is, is that as we look at this, we recognize the importance of being connected in the body. And as we relate to a specific body of believers, then that care is manifest and we are cared for and we care for. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, we immediately see here patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All characteristics, all qualities that stand, divine qualities, divine characteristics that stand as defenses against bitterness, that stand as an offensive weapon to bring about forgiveness 
as an offensive weapon to guard and to take care of the body. We do that by the teaching of the Word. But it is an offensive weaponry for preventing brokenness. And these are born in our lives in the common care of the body of Christ. And in so doing, reflect the glory of God. I want you to hear that again. These are born in our lives by God for the common care of the body of Christ. And in so doing, reflect the glory of God. These are God's characteristics. Now let's see how He displays them toward us. Okay? And think about these as He displays them toward us and how that translates into the way we display them toward others specifically those here in this body or specifically with those in our local body that we are part of. And in so doing, let's listen. Patience. Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Psalm 103, verse 8, we hear, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, we hear, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Kindness and goodness. Now I want you to think about goodness in terms of generosity. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, but knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Well, what about God's faithfulness? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, meaning us, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. Psalm 91 and verse 4, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Well, what about God's gentleness? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, we hear this, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. Behold, my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved one, with whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 now, I remember us dealing with this text when we were working through Hebrews. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. What do we hear in this? We hear of care, the care of God toward us in patience, toward our repentance. How does that translate for us? Well, we should be patient with one another as we Come as we care for each other in the body. What does that mean for us? Well, that means that we need to be patient with each other as we are continuing to mature. I talked with a man back here some months ago, and we were talking about Oak Valley, and he was giving consideration of whether he wanted to be here or not. And I reminded him of this, and I called him by name, and I said, Brother, I said, I want you to hear me. I said, we are across the continuum at Oak Valley. I said, we are growing in Christ. We have some who are growing theologically, but we are all growing spiritually. So if you come, come expecting to disciple and come expecting to be discipled because we have not all arrived. And we haven't. And I haven't. And I want to thank you for being patient with me. But in the body of Christ, we look to the end of being patient working toward, longing for repentance, that is, a turning away from sin and turning to God. So I want you to know that in the body of Christ, we maintain unity by being patient with one another as God has been patient with us. Well, what about kindness and gentleness and goodness, generosity? Well, what should that mean for us? Well, we hear that the kindness of God is displayed toward us in that He cares for us and He saved us. Now, I can't save you and you can't save me. But what we can do here in kindness is to preach and teach the gospel and point one another to God's Word. I hope you were writing some of these texts down. If not, go back and listen. Call me for the manuscript. All of these will help you as you look at how I am to care for my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this body as I display kindness toward them. But what about generosity? When we give of ourselves and we continue to give and we continue to give. I was rehearsing our minutes from a couple of weeks, from a couple of um, months ago as we give appreciation to you every time we meet and gather for our members meeting. And that's not just something that we do, but appreciation for what? I'm not thanking you for helping me. You help me. I love you for it and I bless the Lord for it. 
we are coming together to work together to give of ourselves generously in the way that God gave of Himself generously. That flows out of the goodness and the love that we have for each other. You know why I will put myself out for you? Because I love you. You know why you put yourself out for me? It's because you love me. You know what it means when we are not willing to put ourselves out for each other? It means that there is a glitch somewhere in our understanding of how we are to love for each other. How we are to care for each other. You know why? Because it takes that. It took the goodness of God and the sacrifice of His Son to save us. It takes that. And the very character of God gives of that because that is who He is. Well, what about faithfulness? It says, well, we are faithless. He remains faithful. What does that mean for us here in the body of Christ? Is that there are going to be times where some of us are going to struggle in our faithfulness to the body. What does that mean? This is where patience comes back and we pick back up and we're patient and we're caring and we're loving. Helping each other come back together to live, to be, to do, to care for each other. Why? Because we know and understand that if we have a brother or sister who is not there, then there is, again, a break in the glory of God. And as the body of Christ, we seek to display the glory of God in the body. And why not? Because if we don't reflect the glory of God, because, and the glory of God has come upon us in the Spirit to live in us, then how then are we going to be the people of light? How then are we going to display the light that God intends for us to display in the course of this dark world? But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You see, our faithfulness to each other, listen now, our faithfulness to each other protects us here in the body. Listen again to what Psalm 91.4 said, He'll cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find a refuge. The body of Christ, the local body, is a place of refuge. Not a place for you to hide, but a place for you to come to seek protection because it is a place of light. It is a place of care. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. In other words, it is, there is in the course of our faithfulness as the body of Christ as we seek to protect the unity of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is in that a wall of protection that is built around us. And here's how we know that. is because what we are shielded in is the unity of the Spirit. And there is no break in the unity of the Spirit of God. There is no division between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's no division between Him and His Word. So why do we gather here each week in the way that we do and we are saturated in the Word of God is because that is our defense and it is also our offense as we offend against those who struggle. Faithfulness. Well, what about gentleness? Well, hear it again. He'll tend his flock as a shepherd. 
What do you think of when you think of a shepherd? You think of someone who cares. We think of what? We think of Psalm 23, don't we? Don't you find comfort and protection and care when you hear the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. What do we hear when we get to John 10? We hear of a loving shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and then holds them and protects them. A gentle shepherd. Not one who is weak, one who is strong. Not one who is mean and harsh, but one who is caring and patient and kind. And that's the reason that Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle. I am meek and mild and humble. I'm powerful. But I am here and what I have for you, what I long for you is to care for you. To care for you. And then in Hebrews we heard again, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since He Himself is beset with weakness and humility. What I hope we are coming to understand is that the glory of God reflecting in the way believers care for one another in a local body, I want you to hear this, is no small thing. It's no insignificant thing. Christ died for the church, His bride, the body of Christ. He called His bride as individual members and then brought them together into one body. He has divinely brought His church together and reflects His glory in our local assemblies. And He has given life to these members, to you, to me, if we have trusted Christ, He has given life to us by placing in us His Spirit. I want you to see and to know how incredibly huge that is, that the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us. He's given us life. He's placed His Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, who grants fruit, divine character fruit, For the common care of His body. The Spirit of God lives in us to care for one another. Reflecting the glory of God. Why? Because we need care. And how does God do that? In a great way in the body of Christ. Because we bear the character and nature of God. We will deal with each other out of flowing out of that character. We should take it seriously. Incredibly serious. Church membership is incredibly serious. It is vital, but it is incredibly serious. We are making commitments to one another to care for each other. You've heard us say this over and over again, but I want you to see that when Paul is dealing with this, with all that was going on, with all the theological issues and the challenges, and with the sin on the backside, he is saying, reflect the glory of God through the Spirit of God that dwells in you as He bears fruit of His character and nature in you. We should take it seriously as we reflect the glory of God 
in fruitful lives as we walk by the Spirit. And we should do so intentionally displaying these characteristics as we care and bear one another's burdens. Listen to what Paul says there in Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ has done that for us. If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you do so because God has called you. God has placed His Spirit in you. You have believed in Him. And hopefully you can see witness and testimony of the Spirit of God living in you toward the end that the fruit of the Spirit is being displayed in your life in growing proportion. In growing proportion. Not in perfection, but in growing proportion. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, trust Him because Christ alone atone for your sin. Christ alone gives you life. In Christ alone is their hope. But I want you to know that you're not out here winging it on your own. If you're a believer and you're not connected, and when I'm talking about connected, I'm not talking about names on a church roll. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you have not made a commitment to identify with a local body intentional in caring for every member in that body and and resting in the care of that body, you are missing, clearly missing what God intends for the body of Christ. I want to encourage you today. Do it for the care of the body. Do it because God has granted His Spirit to be born in you, not to be on your own. And next week, I'll just go ahead and preface this, next week as we close, we're going to see then how that translates into a reflection of the glory of God in a fallen world. But it has to begin here with a body. Or somewhere with a body. I want to pray. (coughs) Excuse me. And this is our time of intercession this morning. Father, in your wisdom,
You plan for your bride. We acknowledge today, God, that our existence as individuals, but our existence in the body of Christ is not a happenstance. We acknowledge today, God, that you were intentional in calling your bride and you were intentional in planning for us to meet the way that we meet. You were intentional in giving us your spirit to give us life. Life that was ultimately intended to translate into our relationships that would reflect your glory. And the way that you have cared for us, God, you have equipped us to care for one another. Father, would you help us to see that today? And then, Father, as you have been gracious in putting your Spirit in us, would you help us as we walk with Him and walk by Him, as we live in you and live out through you? Father, would you help us to have a growing intentionality about the way that we care for each other here in the life of Oak Valley. God, would you grant that we would not become so inward focused that we would forget about others, but God, would you cause us to love each other here in this body, passionately caring for each other, holding each other up, encouraging each other, bearing each other's burdens, helping each other in dealing with our sin and our struggles, helping us to stay where we need to be in regards to your word, not imposing our personal convictions on each other, but God, living in unity with each other for the sake of your glory as we protect and care for each other. God, help us as we seek to do this that we would reflect your glory in this body, that we may reflect it outside of this body. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.